0: We got a bar and a bar's got somebody who thinks he's as tough as a nickel steak. But they all come to speed for the Go Ray Me. Now get this. We need partners. We need brothers and we need friends. My little brother was 15 years old. Think about that. You're winning, you know. How about cutting hates? Oh, I get it. You want some kind of contest, huh? You're real smart boy, ain't you? I guess maybe you'll have to kill me. It'll hurt if I do. Well, it looks like I finally ran into someone that likes to play as rough as I do. Yeah, this must be a lucky night. My bodies, they're not nice like me. Are we supposed to say thanks? You're not supposed to say nothing. soldier. I'll be coming for her, and I'll be coming for you, too. Sure you will, and I'll be waiting. You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before, where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun, where the beautiful day and see the show it's really good the brutal i want tom cody and the brave all meet from now on it's for real in streets of fire you're lying in your bed and on a saturday night you're and it's not even Creators of 48 Hours, Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire.
1: Hello folks and welcome to another episode of Last Call of Torchies. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill, and with me, as usual, is Lee Russell. How are you doing,
2: sir? Uh, not too bad, Gary, although last time I checked, uh, I feel like I'm missing a couple sledgehammers and I don't know where they went to, but, um, other than that, pretty good.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, a... yeah, that could be a thing, especially, mm-hmm. especially in this universe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: With me as usual is, uh, Mr. Cameron Scott, how you doing, sir?
3: I'm doing fa- fantastic. There's, there's bright neon fucking everywhere around here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How, how could um, they afford all those fancy stage lights in such a bad neighborhood? I don't know. It's, it's strange, you know. <laughs> Seems like you'd be replacing those on the nightly. Man, bad wiring or whatnot. Um, you know, Rick Moranis has got deep pockets, man. We can He can do this. He saved all that money on them clothes, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to talk um, about a film I've covered about probably four or five times by now, and I'm, I'm doing it again, y'all. Uh, Streets of Fire from 1984. Um, your cheap plot synopsis is a mercenary is hired to rescue his ex-girlfriend, a singer who has been kidnapped by a motorcycle gang. Uh, this uh, is directed by, directed by Walter Hill, uh, written by Walter Hill and Larry Gross. This has uh, a big cast of some maturing characters from... Um, other Walter Hill joints. Um, Michael Paré as, as Tom Cody, our hero, or Izzy. He? We'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> D- Diane Lane as uh, Ellen Aim. These are all welcome to the programs, by the way. Uh, Rick Moranis as Billy Fish. Amy Madigan, Amy Madigan as McCoy. Willem Dafoe as Raven. Deborah Van Valkenburg as Riva. Uh, Tom's sister, welcome back to the show from the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Lawson as Ed Price, uh, our, our African-American cop. Rick Rossovich as Officer Cooley, our, our white uh, token white cop. Even from, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Terminator, same year, Talked about a couple years later. So, he's easy yeah. stuff, you know. Bill Paxton, first appearance as Clyde, the bartender. Uh, Lee fucking Ving, I gotta say, put mm. the fucking in there, as Greer, as uh, Ravens number two. You got the Sorrells up in this motherfucker, uh Stony Jackson as Bird, Grandel Bush as Reggie, Robert Townsend as Lester, and Michelithai Williamson as BJ. These are all actors that you've seen in a thousand things. And um Good shit. E. G. Daly shows us uh, shows up as baby doll, uh looking very cute in this movie, mm. of course. Yeah. And uh welcome back to the program, Lynn Thigpen as Motorwoman. Uh run of the mm-hmm. train but not run of the train. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Running the train poorly. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. Well, she, can't, <laughs> she, can't, she can't go, man. The bobs are pissed off, man. <laughs> um Ed Bakely I gotta I gotta imagine he shows up. Ed Bakely Jr. shows up as, as as a hobo called Ben Gunn in, in a hilarious scene and um <laughs> goes with the Gozerian herself. Marine Jahan shows up mm. as the Torchies dancer and boy can she dance her ass off in this movie. <laughs>
3: Wow, was that Gozer? Was that really
1: Gozer? Yes, same same actress. Hot damn. (laughs) Hats off, hats off. Yeah. Skirts off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that too. I love this film. People know this. So I'm going to kick it to one of my
2: co-hosts first. And um, S. Lee. Uh, What do you think, sir? Uh, This was another first-time watch for me uh, out of the Walter Mm -hmm. Hill canon. So... um... I did kind of know what this was about so hence I was able to you know think of something that would pair I think fairly well with it for our Patreon episode that we're going to do um but yeah it did, it was still quite surprising even though I kind of knew like the general plot synopsis of it um really interesting kind of mix of uh sort of a noir a biker movie Uh, It's a musical, but, you know, not the annoying kind of musical where people are singing dialogue. It's just, you know, there's a lot of bands and stuff and you get to see them play full songs and shit like that, which is always cool. Um, It seems like it's kind of set in a strange dystopian world of some sort where it's like the 1950s fashions and styles never stopped. And we're in the 80s now and it's still sort of going strong. Um, It's kind of like an alternate Reality that's like this highly stylized noir world with like a comic book tone. And I guess l- looking into the background of this a little bit, they essentially were like, we want to make a perfect like comic book movie again. We, we want to do like the Warriors over again in a way. Um, but I would argue it's def- this is definitely not style over substance uh, once we get into the discussion of this thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this first time watch. I'm definitely going to go back to it. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into our sort of deeper thoughts on this, but uh, I thought it was really good. Cool. Cameron?
3: Uh, well, this was not a first-time watch for me. This is maybe a third or a fourth-time watch. I had not traveled down the streets of fire very often. I hadn't probably seen this since the 90s, and I forgot how goddamn good it was. Uh, I forgot how star-studded it was, and oh. uh, seeing you know young William Defoe and the young dick-headed uh, Rick Moranis in it, <laughs> you know it it was uh, not shot in the in the physical style of Sin City, but it felt like a movie that was in that same kind of genre. Right, film, film noir meets you know comic book style, and I love that. I love it from the first frame when it says you know a rock and roll fable. It is. It's just uh, it, it's it's great. It's got the We'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but Ray Cooder, enough said. I mean, what else do you need to say about that that score? And William Defoe just hamming it up. It's 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 great for all the right reasons. It's uh, you know, is it a perfect movie? No, but I mean, uh, it's and this, you know, the first time I think we get uh, Torchy's referenced by name. Yeah, so, I think so. Yeah, I yeah, think you know for. Thumbs up for that, you know, but uh, yeah, it is a little bit, it, it kind of reeks of the warriors, but you know, every good director dips back into the well a little bit, I think, you know, but uh, I, I love it. I love it for, for the action, for the the, the rock and roll, uh, the great cast. It's uh, It's almost an impeccable film.
1: I love this film. People, people know this, you know. When usually when they say, "Hey, we're doing Streets of Fire," and it's a friend of mine. They say they they usually call on me to say, "Hey, he likes this movie, so let's do it."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> there's so many things about this film that I love. I mean, it kicks it kicks right in the gear with um, Ellen Aim and the attackers' performance, which is not Diane Lane singing people, but she's she's working her ass off uh, to mm-hmm. look like she is. Uh, <laughs> Like She's video. giving it her best. She, she is giving it her best. Um, <laughs> you get you get right away, come out of the gate, you, you know what kind of film you're going to get. Which is basically a couple years later, the, the opening to Double Dragon. <laughs> if, if, you, if you think about it, you, know, you. you see Double Dragon, these, these thugs walk up. Uh, she doesn't get punched in the gut, I don't think, which is terrible no. in that, that video game. But, uh, just take it away, and of course... Billy and Jimmy have to go after her, and uh, in this case, Tom, Tom Cody's called back for from, uh, I guess, being on, on furlough from the army to to come um, help attend situation and rescue his, his ex-girl, uh, whether he wants to or not, basically.
2: Um, yeah, I don't it, think he really wants to. He doesn't really want to. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't he think he wanna... does a shit. Yeah, he doesn't want to do anything. He just kind of sleepwalks through this shit, he's like, oh, I guess we have to do this. Like, I'm too cool for school, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: go if you guys ever seen
2: it before, you know, going into it, guys,
1: just know that Tom Cody is about 85% an asshole in this movie. You know, th-
2: throughout, you know. Apparently, Michael Pear was an asshole uh, the- oh. <laughs> as well. <laughs> Big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> If he, Apparently uh, him
3: and Rick Miranda's did not get along and like he wanted to punch Rick Mirandis in the face and it's like, Come on, really? Ugh. Ricky, you know, you wanna punch Ricky in the face? No. No, I haven't it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, everything really, the the cars and the the motorcycles and I'm not a gun enthusiast, but I'm a am a I'm a big fan of the T V show The Rifleman, so the the gun that he uses really
2: makes me happy in this movie. <laughs> Just uh uh, blowing mm-hmm. up motorcycles. <laughs> I'm just a fan of any movie where the where the guy's gearing up, you know. And so when he goes and buys those guns from the uh, the uh, auto mechanic contact that he has or whatever, it's like, yeah, this guy, he left this shit as payment because he couldn't, you know, pay for his car or whatever the fuck. So it's just like, you know, okay, here's the tools he's going to use when we finally get to the scene where he's got to use them and shit. And I always like that.
1: He already had the jacket so he was uh, he was one up right there so
2: Mhm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a lot to love about this film. The cast is really big. I mean, the sets are really big. They, they made it look like, you know, basically downtown Chicago would look if it was in like a dystopian possibly
2: 1950s future slash whatever and Yeah. It looks it looks really good. It looks lived in, right? Like mm-hmm. you like I was saying it's like it's not just style over substance of this film. It it, it the world feels lived in. Uh the characters themselves I I'll I'll kind of argue kind of surface level for the most part kind of archetypes more than anything else but um I mean sort of sort of had the same thing in the warriors. I it's, it's not a complaint. Um although and there's not I, a lot
3: of depth to the characters but no. I can live with that.
2: I'll say maybe to like Michael Pear's detriment, where it's kind of like why is he the hero of this when clearly it's his plucky tomboy sidekick who's kind of the real hero here <laughs> right
1: <laughs> it's kind of like um big trouble little china Jack yeah. Jack Burton's not really the hero of the movie. Everybody else is kind of doing it for him.
2: he he looks really good on that that uh that the undershirt, so <laughs> yeah. the the problem is Michael Pear isn't he isn't a nept like Jack Burton is and he's also not funny. <laughs> so <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Yeah, you
1: get the you get them jokes in Big Trouble Little China, I I, I can appreciate all that. Um there, there's um a lot to talk about and one of the big things is Willem Dafoe and just this is mm. what I mean I, I, I've never seen the Loveless but he was doing this kind of movie back yeah. these
2: days. He's really good in the Loveless as well. It's it's on the list of stuff I want to watch. <laughs> yeah, um, early, uh, early Catherine Bigelow.
1: You get that scowl though, and the whole the whole deal with in the leathers, and the, of course the leather waiters, and his his attitude uh. throughout the whole movie is just spot on. Until of course he gets he gets bitched out at the end and. Starts crying like LeBron James oh. uh, <laughs> when
3: well, that lip starts quivering. Oh, yeah. That yeah. lip oh, starts yeah. quivering. It's just like, oh, you broke. You just
2: broke there, Willem. Come <laughs> yeah, on, <laughs> you broke. Um, do you guys? Are you guys familiar with the uh, the actor uh, Richard Widmark? Yes. It yep. was? Uh, yeah. So is in a bunch of noirs and stuff. And he's famously Tommy Udo, um, who you know pushes a uh, old woman down the stairs in a wheelchair in a very shocking moment <laughs> in a movie. Um, but yeah, he, he really struck me as like doing Richard Widmark. If Richard Widmark was a greaser biker who was into wearing like S and gear all the time. Like it, it it's a very interesting performance and, and pretty effective. Like as far as like a memorable performance, although, uh, you're sort of right Gary like he kind of bitches out at the end and he's not really that's a, that's like probably one of the biggest problems with this film uh, overall is that he's not really a threat I don't really feel like he's a threat necessarily to our hero at all like I mean, uh, he thinks he's a threat yeah he's so, not really no he's only a threat by sheer numbers alone yeah Michael Parr never has any problems like his problems all stem from his relationship with his ex-girlfriend like that that's his biggest the uh, problem in the entire movie, the rest of it, he just kind of, he just topples guys, and and he he may he maybe gets a little get a little close to being beaten by Raven at the end in the fight, but it's it doesn't feel like he's ever in really danger of losing.
3: And and the the end fight, as much as I like it, doesn't make sense to me. They start out with the sledgehammers. Mm-hmm. Like where do you start out with sledgehammers and then go to fists? I mean, I like it, but it just it's, logistically just doesn't make a lot of sense. And when William Defoe gets bested, and he just he does kind of bitch out at the end, it's just like really disappointing to an extent. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't make me hate the movie at all, but uh, yeah, it's just
2: it's, it is interesting how this movie um, is a bit of a departure for William Hill, uh, Walter Hill in the sense that. Um, it's kind of bloodless. It's, it's mostly bloodless and there's like no deaths in it. As far as I can recall, like no one's killed. Um, It's just, you know, fights. It's, it's, it's kind of like a teen uh, movie from the fifties or whatever. Right. Like a teen biker movie or something like that, where it was sort of targeted towards a teenage audience and they weren't going to necessarily have any actual deaths in it. It was just like the, the motorcycle gang, rides in, and then, like, the high school uh, hero, or whatever, beats the the biker in the final fight, or whatever, and they slink off, and he gets the girl, or whatever, kind of thing.
1: This is probably Walter Hill's one and only PG-rated film, so Mm. if they would have pushed that envelope to the R, which, the only thing is for, like I said, bloodless film, is, would be a fight to the death in the end, where one of them did die. That yeah, be, that'd be the push to the arc. And besides that, it's written in a way to where it feels like um, like an like an adventure, like the warriors in a lot of ways, like them going from place to place and, but without all the profanity, but the violence is still kind of there, but it's more mm-hmm. playful. You could you could tell what you're going to get at the beginning of the film, but you know after after the Ellen Ellen's kidnapping to where he goes to. Riva's restaurant, his sister's restaurant, and um, <clears throat> he's having an out with this this, this greaser gang in, in the leather jackets. And yeah. He's the one guy pulls a knife on him. He, he basically bitch slaps him four times and takes the knife from him and goes, try it again. You know? <laughs> uh, love that. I love that scene. So, uh, you, it's, can, uh, you gotta know what kind of violence you're getting for, in this movie, like, just from that scene on, is it's gonna it's, mm-hmm. it's be a very comic book, it's gonna be very comical, lot lots of, you know, once you get to the the, um, the scene of torchies where he's blowing up the, the bomber's motorcycles, you're gonna get lots of, you know, fires and explosions, perhaps, but not really, but...
3: A, yeah. l- a lot of, like, G.I. Joe slash A-Team kind of explosions where yes. things are blowing up left and right, but nobody's really getting d- destroyed over it. They're all, like, limping away from the, the destruction.
1: Yeah. You could tell that maybe may have been seriously injured but not dead at, at the, the massacre, but not really at torchies.
2: Yeah, like one one guy gets shot by what's her name, the uh, the sidekick uh, character, when she's you know holding the gun on them in their in their uh, card card playing room or whatever. While uh, while Tom Cody's rescuing uh, Ellen, um, she she does shoot like the one guy who like jumps at her, you know, to call her bluff or whatever. But she shoots him like in the fucking leg or something. So that like that's about as hard as it goes.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's very true. The violence is very low-key in this movie, but I don't think it really hurts it for me no. in a film like this that's so mm-hmm. that's so goddamn cartoony. And so, like I said, pick a video game that came after this. There, there's so many of them that, you know, have, mm-hmm. have aped films like this. If, if they haven't, you know, aped totally. Just, just say, hey, I watch Streets of Rage. Let's, let's make Streets of Rage and make it a <laughs> <laughs> put a robot man in there and shit
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, and i mean i I do like the I do like the biker gang, they're kind of like a bland version of something you'd see in the Warriors, but they're kind of like um if Eric von zipper's gang was actually effective, you know, kind of thing like they they you know they actually they actually do instill fear in the local populace and it, and it seems like law and order is very uh, kind of scarce in this like little enclosed universe. So like it, it does feel like a dystopia. It almost feels like maybe like, um, I don't know, Link Ray became the dictator of the U S or something. That's why it's the 1980s, but everything still feels 1950s and everyone talks like they're in a early Brando biker movie or some shit, you know?
3: Well, you know, it having, I think, uh, being filmed in the eighties, everything is nostalgic. Everybody had, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like in the last 10 years, everything's been eighties and nineties. Everything that was once cool becomes cool again. So they're going with that, that 50s era, you know, mindset that like everything in the fifties was cool. And and they make it look super cool. I mean, like from opening frame with that neon shining on the wet streets. I mean, like, you know, what kind of movie you're getting into Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a, good mix of style and substance you know uh i think you know the the whole idea of it being stuck in kind of a 50s era dystopia is just uh, a a neat angle to mine.
2: and i mean it it works it works for the 1980s anyway because i mean and then you're right you you, you touched on something there cameron that's that's true where you know every decade they tend to look back a couple decades and and kind of fetishize uh what came before and there was a lot of that in the 1980s where like the 1950s sort of ideals and stuff were very prevalent in the culture and like you know you got like the the stray cats as pop stars and right, uh, right. and shit like that you know so um i mean even like bands like the clash were very like 50s greaser influenced in some of their their uh punk look and shit um so yeah like it it's actually kind of surprising to me that this movie didn't do all that well because it's it actually kind of I think it taps right into a lot of that shit that was going on in the nineteen eighties. So
3: yeah, it is a shame that it, it it's generally considered just a cult hit. The fact that I, as I was reading up on it that they had planned to do a trilogy just blows my mind. The fact that this bombed and we never mm. got to see you know those other two uh, sequels.
2: Uh, did you guys have you any either one of you seen the uh Albert Pune Road uh, to Hell? Road to Hell,
1: I, I have seen he, it, yeah. I have interviewed Albert and his wife and um for a sloppy seconds show a long, long time ago. And um,
2: I'll ask you, have you seen Lee? Have you, have you watched it? I, I looked at the trailer and I was like, yeah, that's uh, that's an Albert Pune green screen film, that's that's for sure. <laughs>
1: There's a there's a lot of meat on the bones though, and, and I'll tell you, mm. it's, it's not the same film as this, but it feels more like a, like a one act stage play, to where, oh yeah, McCoy is dead, Ellen is dead, they have a child together that he's trying to get back to, but he's basically stuck in purgatory. Oh, and it's 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 nothing like this movie at all, but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's 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 different, but it's 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 probably. I would say one of the more um, enjoyable, enjoyable, but unfortunately not seen Albert Pune films. I don't think he ever had a distribution for it, but if you contact his website or, or him, he's he's very, he's active on Facebook. So was his wife, I'm sure they can get you some kind of rental to watch it because the physical copy is, is very expensive.
3: Oh, yeah. That's how I saw it was renting it through the website. And I was kind of torn on it. I watched it twice. I like, I, I, I wanted to like it. I mean, I guess I, I could say I, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love Streets of Fire. I, I only kind of remotely liked Road to Hell. It's just, with so much green screen, it's a little hard to watch at times. And I'm a big fan of Albert Pune, and even some of the bad Albert Pune stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's just a little hard to watch.
2: This feels like it would pair, this movie itself would like pair really well with Pune's uh, Pugh's, uh Radioactive Dreams. Like, the, when I was watching this, I was like, you know what? Radioactive Dreams is right up the alley with the, With this kind of thing. Like, it's very close.
1: Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it before, actually. I thought I did, but it's it's in the back of my brain. I've seen some other um Albert Pune film that's not that film. I think I have to check it out mm-hmm.
2: now. Yeah, it's, it's one of his best films, as far as I'm concerned. Like, it. It's back when you know people were actually giving him money to make films and shit, which is you know <laughs> sadly I, I, they don't anymore.
1: I will say if you're gonna seek it out though, Road to Hell, and you're looking for this movie, you're not gonna find this movie, so don't go mm-hmm. looking for it. You know, it's, it's that's that's the best the best thing I can tell you because if you are looking for this movie with that with that sort of sequel, you're gonna be disappointed because it's it's a lot. There's a lot of heart to that film. And I think that's why why I watched it like three times when when I had had the opportunity to watch a screener and uh it was uh it's good to me I I shared it with a couple friends and they 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 uh they dug it too so I guess it depends on your personal taste and what you're looking for and it's not this though unfortunately mm-hmm. unfortunately unfortunately you know it it it's matured it's matured quite a bit let's put it i I'll put it the best way I can put it. <laughs> um, we we talked about how this music this movie is very music heavy, and it is because they had lots of big names working on the soundtrack. And which, um, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the film before, and you heard the song on the radio, "I Could Dream About You" by the Dan Hartman band, that's where this song came from, and it's still played on like like popular radio today. So. If, if we didn't know, uh, call somebody or something.
2: But. <laughs> the, uh, the gin, like, I didn't even look up the soundtrack who was on it before I uh, started watching this. And then, like, the opening song is like, that has to be a Jim Steinman uh, song. Like, it it, it <laughs> it's like I could picture Meatloaf there singing that shit. So it's like, and then uh, lo and behold, yeah, it is, right? Um, I actually... And and Cameron was touching on this too. Um, is is interesting and and cool as like the actual music acts that you see play in the actual film are. Um, I actually really like just the soundtrack. It's uh, the uh, the score itself from Rikudo. I think it's actually better than the the uh, musical acts that you watch on screen. Uh, I I I'd agree. Yeah, I think it's really really good. And I'm like yeah, at one point, there's even a. Uh, a cover of Link Ray's "Rumble" at the end there, when before the final fight or whatever, I was just like, "Yeah, this is this is good shit. This is really good shit." Well, it sets the
3: tone and sets the mood for it so well. I mean, every every movie, just about every movie would uh, benefit from a Ray Kuder soundtrack. Yeah, and also benefit from a Peter Jason Crooked Cop cameo. <laughs> oh, he says he
1: says it in a line, but you know, it, it's uh. It's meant to be, you know, hurtful to 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 the
2: the Sorels in their race. you know? <laughs> yeah, I f- I feel bad for the Sorrels. Like, did they did they ever get any compensation for losing their their tour bus and their thousand dollars they had on it? I don't think they did. Did they?
1: They got Billy Fish behind them now, baby. They're gonna be big stars. So.
3: Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, they got a contract,
3: so they they didn't make out too bad. Mm.
1: They're uh, they're back to you know. Wearing, they probably had, I think they had better suits in the end of the movie they did you know, in the, during Out of the Bus. <laughs> they look more shiny when um, Ellen Aim and the Attackers are belting out tonight is what it means to be young, which is, people say it's the better song than Nowhere Fast. I don't think so, but it, it, that's just me talking. <laughs> you
3: know? Oh, I think Nowhere Fast is better, too. <laughs> <laughs> By far.
1: Um, not the film to maybe fall in love with the Blasters, but it, as soon as I've seen... Dave Alvin on the stage, you know, with that massive Adam's apple bul- bulging out, belting out those Shh. tunes. I was <laughs> I was a Blasters fan at that point. Let's put it that way. It, it's um, they show up in this movie as as the the band of Torchies, and they they cut a couple mm-hmm. couple tracks out of that. And
2: um, man, that that guy, the amount he sweats. <laughs> fucking crazy. Like he, every shot of him, his face is just covered in sweat. Uh, if you were the Bombers House band, you, you'd be sweating
3: too, I'm sure.
2: Oh, yeah. I, you know, I'd, I'd just be watching Gozer there fucking going in a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little hot. It's <laughs> um, important.
1: Yeah, I did not. Oh, I'm sorry.
2: Go ahead. Um, no, I was just going to
3: remark that I did not know that was Gozer. You guys blew my fucking mind with that. I, I, I got to rewatch it just to. Take that in. I think she asked
1: that question. Are, are you a god? <laughs> I am today. <laughs> there you go. The answer is yes. Always. See, you know, it's, a <laughs> uh, it's a point Are, you, are say, you sure that? Wait. Where? Are you
2: sure that was Gozer? Yes. Uh, let me see here. I don't see her listed. In I, I see a different actress listed uh, for for Gozer.
1: I know there's a couple Forget. couple stunt actions for for sure because sure, I know that I know that Adrian King was even involved in Ghostbusters for from Friday the
2: Thirteenth and um, some of those stunt scenes. Because uh, they they say they say it's uh, Slavica Jovan, and then we go to Streets and Streets of Fire.
1: I could be wrong I, about that. So yeah, I, yeah, I, had, my, to, my, I had my not to... blown. Okay, sorry, sorry.
2: God damn it! Um, ruined it for me. Sorry, man. Where Tor- 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 Torchy's da- dancer, Marine Jahan, who did Streets of Fire, she was in a TV show called The Wizard. She was in. She did some TV, but she did do dancing and stuff. But uh, her only other movie credit is Morning Glory, whatever the fuck that is. Mm-hmm. Morning Glory hole. i mean, Morning mm. Glory. <laughs> Unless, wait, wait a second here. Let me just check here. No, no, yeah, two two different people, but they did look very similar. Oh, so, I'm
1: sorry. I got, I got, I got camera all excited there for nothing. And yeah. It, uh, I'm fired from the show now. It's bad news. Damn We're it. We're going to have to run it without you, I guess. God yeah.
0: damn
3: it. <laughs> We're taking over the show now, Lee.
1: Ready? <laughs> Ma'am. But yeah, great tunes throughout, I mean, with some, some heavy hitters uh, in the mix, including R- the Ry Cooter band, who had two, has two tracks on the soundtrack. Um,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: personal favorite, Hold That Snake, because uh, um, you know what <laughs> the song about?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I could not guess.
1: I could not guess. Um, a, lot, a lot of stuff written by fans. people. Tom Petty wrote through the, the, the non name track, Never Be You, which is a great track. Um, Stevie Nicks wrote the sorcerer track, which is not Stevie Nicks again, but <laughs> produced by Jimmy Jimmy Iovine. Who's um, look him up? He's, he's he's produced many people, including currently Dr. Dre and Eminem, and many other people in the past too. Man oh man!
2: I think they wanted to use I think they wanted to use uh, Springsteen for a while there too, but they were like, "Yes, Bruce, we want to use this song of yours." But we're gonna have someone redo it, and he was like, "Fuck that." Yeah, <laughs> right. They, they let him yeah. use the name of his song, I guess. that That's a thing, you know.
1: Mm. It's, uh... <laughs> um, yeah,
3: he drew the line to remaking it. He ain't remaking my shit. Yeah. We don't want to pay you, Bruce. So, so, sorry, bruh. You know. Uh... <laughs> and that essentially is what it comes down to. Because if they had the money, they have been like, "Sure, sure, we'll, we'll pay you for it. No problem." They're like, nah, ain't going there. The, you hear
1: yeah. the song, you're like, "This isn't Bruce Springsteen," you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I walked to a gas station one day. I, I work a long hours on Monday, and one of those things I do is collect money from gas stations for newspapers. And I heard some hack seeing Roy Orbison over, over the loudspeaker, and I was like, "What have they done to Roy Orbison?" Yeah, <laughs> I said, I said it audibly, <laughs> you know. I feel I had the same <laughs> feeling about it. Uh, if <laughs> they had somebody else sing Bruce Springsteen's music in this movie.
3: I don't know. You had a yeah, the Don Corleone moment. Like, what have they done to my boy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought I, I watched the
1: extras on, on the original um, DVD long ago. I, I don't know the Screen Factory the Shop Factory one. I'm going to have to get that one of these days. You know, when they stop fucking around and give it a 4K like they've been doing. Because um, it's out of print now. But I remember <clears throat> watching the behind-the-scenes stuff and them having these massive tarps up so they could keep the streets wet when it wasn't raining. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was a big pain in the ass for them, <laughs> was keep, <laughs> keeping these streets as damp as possible
2: <laughs>
1: in, a, in a dry uh, in a dry Chicago at the time. I thought I it was wintertime, because that shit would freeze up like nobody's business. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, lots lots of great stuff. Lots lots, lots of great action set pieces, like the torchy scene, the scene at the end with, with with the the bombers coming to town.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> no, nobody squeezed the air horn better than Willem Dafoe ever. He just
3: uh, yeah. <laughs> that that scowl.
1: <laughs>
0: just...
1: And
3: nobody walked away from a from a complete like flaming building in the background. You know what I mean? Better than Willem
2: Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he owned that. Uh, cool just as just as hairdo, he's got the he's got the Ducktail or whatever, uh, yep. fucking going the old fifties Ducktail thing. You know, like yeah, he pulls it off.
1: Um, cool thing, and there. I love
3: how they're introduced the, the 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 bombers at the beginning. They're all like in that smoky kind of you know darkness, and then it's just not till like they get that moment where you get the close up of Willem Dafoe, and you know this is mm-hmm. an epic introduction for a bad guy. Epic, you know, when they finally show Raven and he's just like, and, it, and William Defoe scowls as only William Defoe can, you know, when he shows those uh, chompers of his, you know, like mm-hmm. he's, you're afraid he's going to bite you. <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and interesting too, like he is a real nasty bad guy, but uh, again, they they pull it back to PG where he's not, you know, like actively beating Ellen or trying to rape her, like right away, you know, like he's sexually assaulting her, but you know he's not. It's not going as far as it probably would go if this was, like, the Warriors or something like that.
1: Well, he's got the clothes for the bondage all day long, so he's all good. Oh, today, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> Interesting shirt choice. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one thing that shirt me out when I first watched this film, and still does to this day, is this being a universal RKO uh, co-production in the in the 80s. and th- That's got to make you happy. I'm sorry. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I gotta go into uh I, I never asked this, but I, I have a lot of favorite scenes in this film. You know, what, what, what scenes really
3: work for you guys?
1: I'll start with Cameron.
3: Um, I think uh the actual attack on Torshi's is more impre- is the most impressive scene because you know usually you know they say the, the, you know, the big action set piece for the finale and they really save it for act two in that one. And it's just, you know, watching uh McCoy and Cody working together at first. I'm you know, kind of like remembering this movie as I was watching it after it, you know, been so many years. And I'm like, this plane doesn't seem like it's gonna work. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it is gonna work. And it's really it's the Jack Burton Big Trouble Little China moment, you know. Mm. Is this really McCoy is the secret weapon and she is a badass. I would love have loved to have seen more of her, but I think the the actual attack on torchies is the most memorable
2: uh lee um definitely i would i'd echo, uh, echo those thoughts i mean it is kind of the big set piece uh other than the the final fight it's kind of the big set piece in this um although you know you know not to be lurid but obviously the the setup to it where we Get the introduction to Torchies, and we watch the dancer, and we linger on the dancer for a while as we're playing the music and shit, and uh just the whole the whole setup to that I think is really good. And um I also just kind of enjoy seeing Lee Ving in anything, uh even though he doesn't get a lot to do in this this film. I was just like I every time he popped up, it's like, yeah, there's Lee Ving. Let him do something, please. Let him be a badass. And, you know, he just kind of scowls at our heroes and then collects Willem Dafoe's limp, bloodied body at the end of the fight and, and takes off with it. I got, I kind of get the feeling he's going to be the leader of the biker gang after this, but, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I like, uh, I, I, you can't really not choose that scene because it is the most stylized and irresponsible action scene in the whole movie. Cause, uh, it feels like an exploitation film, especially when he shoots that first tank and the guy just kind of, like, scuffles off the back. Like, that guy could have caught on fire for real, you
3: know? And mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt like a cannon movie at that
1: point. It did, yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I love everything about this film. I love, I love the the motorcycles and <clears throat> them looking, you know, beat up and stuff. And it says here, uh, more than 50 motorcycles and their drivers are featured as the bombers... They were chosen from 200 members of real LA bass clubs like the Crusaders and the Heathens. So they, these real, um, real MCs to cast out the bombers, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. um more stuff. Uh, the, the reason why uh, Michael Pere was hating um, Rick Moranis is because he, he kept trying to like improvise and stuff and do his, do his uh, his comedy bits, and he wasn't allowed to do that obviously, and. It was it was miserable for him to work with, apparently, or whatever. Um. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Walter Hill was reluctant to cast Diane Lane because he felt she was too young for the role. Uh, Hill met Lane in the New Yorks in New York City, and she auditioned for him in black leather pants, a black mesh top, and high heel boots, he was surprised with her total commitment to selling herself as a rock and roll star. Now, I'm not sure if um. Ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains came before this or after this, but it was very, very close to when this came out. And she played the lead
2: singer of that movie. I think it's after this or right around this time, or was it a little later on? Fabulous Stains. That's another expensive DVD, by the way, yeah. Yeah, Fabulous Stains was eighty-two because she was underage in eighty-two when okay. when they and they had to because there is a nude scene, like a, you know, a butt shot of her in the shower in the Fabulous Stains where she's underage. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know she was underage in that movie. Yeah,
1: I still have fond memories of Six Pack quite a bit. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry she she she, she filled out early and she, that's why I fell in love with her was Six Pack. I saw it as a kid and um. If ever I remember, I I'd have to ask her, you know what's what's Kenny Rogers really like? Come on now, you don't you know tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, being my dumb fucking children stuff. We'll, we'll talk about that with the next review too for for the Patreon. Uh, <laughs> mm. Um, have a great time with this film always, and it's one of those films where people watch it and they'll do like reviews or like talk to me about it that are on the fence and want to get tactical about things and then I say, you know what? Everything you're saying is right, but I still fucking love it, so I, I can't fault you, brother, you know, but you're you're wrong at the same time, <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> Um I'll kick it uh, back to Lee, um anything else he wants to talk about and um yeah, go for it man.
2: Uh, no, I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Like I said, first time watch and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, everything, everything sort of fires on all cylinders. I mean, it it's kind of, it's kind of light in, in story and, and characterizations and stuff. It's all very surface level stuff, but it's really well done surface level stuff. And then the actual world that the surface level stuff is put into, again, it feels kind of lived in. So it, it sells it a bit better. And it's it's just kind of fun light comic book stuff um, again not hyper violent um, the probably the most scandalous thing is that dance at torchies where you know that's that's where you're skirting the PG uh, rating a little bit right there but otherwise everything's just kind of enjoyable to watch it's kind of one of those movies that you would always watch on like a you know saturday afternoon saturday afternoon sunday afternoon or whatever you'd probably catch it on tv that kind of movie um if i'd seen this back when i was a kid it probably would have been one of those ones that i i'd have a lot of nostalgia for uh, and the music's great yeah this is really good uh, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily warriors level or anything like that but you know it's a good companion piece at the very least and it's got fun fun performances so uh thumbs up Cameron
3: uh, I agree with a lot of what uh, Lee had to say on this it's it's good fun it the the threat never feels quite real it feels it feels PG13 but that's not a negative to the film <clears throat> it feels like it could be set in the same that same universe as the Warriors like if the Warriors were to pass by in the background in a shot you would not be surprised whatsoever mm-hmm. and looking back on it it's what's really not to love. I mean, with everybody that's in it from William of Bo, Rick Moranis, even Michael Pere when he was in his prime, Dan, Diane Lane, definitely in her prime. I mean, mm-hmm. young, young Bill Paxton, Richard Lawson leaving, uh, Deborah van Valkenburg. I mean, like everybody in it is somebody recognizable and it's just a beautiful film to watch. It, every, you know, every frame of it feels pretty much like a painting, like it's very well <laughs> orchestrated. And I love the idea of making this comic bookish, you know, where the action is real, but, you know, the violence is a little, this a little off kilter, a little hokey, not quite so, you know, bloodstained as <laughs> most of Walter Hill stuff would be. But it's a good, it's a good lot of fun. I get a lot of nostalgic vibes from this movie, and I really don't think that, like, the, just on a side note, that Road to Hell is necessarily a bad film. It plays almost like a nightmarish, uh, like a fever dream that the Cody character would have had. Mm. And uh, you know, I, I would. The one problem I have with this movie, and I have one issue, is it feels like the middle chapter of a bigger story. Yeah, you know, I think that might have came from the idea that they were going to do a trilogy. So they felt like, OK, we're already going to have these uh, characters entrenched in this, you know, just damp fucking city and you know, a landscape uh, you know, this stuck in a weird 50s dystopia. I, I, I feel like it, there is a smaller part of a much bigger story, if I'm making any sense there. Uh-huh. But if that was to have any one real issue with the movie, that's it. But it's it's great. It's a, it was a fun, fun rewatch.
1: Um, I I got to give my MVP of the movie, which I I think, because um, it's written the part written for a man, uh, McCoy, in the movie uh. was see Mendez and possibly played by Ever James Olmos. So for her to take this role on, and I don't think the script changed very much for her to be the spunky like I, I I'd say the biggest action hero of the movie. I, yeah. I mm-hmm. she, she has better line delivery than Cody. She has a lot of stuff better than Cody. And I, I, I think she, she she worked it out in in a role and she's in a lot of stuff that I love, but nothing nothing like this. And I think that's a shame that she we right. weren't able to get more sequels to, to flesh out, you know, this this McCoy character. Even more than Cody, I I think in my opinion.
2: Oh yeah, I'd, I'd rather watch a film with her as the lead than uh, you can just take Cody right out of the damn thing. Honestly, yeah, you could have done a McCoy uh, fucking spinoff movie, and I'd
3: have been happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I love the cars. I mean, I love I love the scenery. Uh, apparently, they did get hit with some some inclement weather. Uh, of course, in Chicago, I think it was <laughs> it was filmed around the winter time because they had rain hail and snow uh plaguing their their production
2: <laughs> so 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 probably either early winter or late winter when the you know temperatures are warmer yep but you
1: watch it though you are you are from the area that that is lower wacker drive and it, it kind of gives you the feels if you're from the area and just what even even me going to suzanne's house i i'll get off the train and just go walk that way and uh go hit the Billy Goat Tavern and go have a go have a chee-buka, chee-buka. and um that's, that's not how they talk anymore <laughs> originally you know during the sketch they used to talk like that in that place in the original Billy Goat Tavern um <laughs> but I'd go go to Lower Wacker Drive and just see those those pylons and that are still there and trains coming above it gives you the feel of this movie like uh, all, all, all the feels you know and I just, uh, I love everything about it. The soundtrack, the, the, the Cooper score, and, uh, I'm always a sucker for a Studebaker because um, I'm, I'm a Muppets fan, people. It, it's, it's <laughs> car uh, all day long. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hate to read the Muppets into it, but I, I will if I can. But, um,. <laughs>
3: Yeah, the Muppets cool. take Lower Wacker Drive. The Muppets take Lower Wacker Drive. <laughs> Muppets take
1: Torchies. Muppets <laughs> take Torchies. There you go. Would,
3: There's the epic crossover that we need. These film right. These
1: films write themselves, people. Okay,
2: they just do. This Piggy gets de- uh, jealous of the uh, Torchie's dancer.
1: If if they replaced Muppets in this movie, I would not reject that idea. Who would be? Oh yeah. Who would
2: be the leather daddy? Oh. Oh, that's the thing now, right? Yeah, where it's like either if. if who do you who do you keep human or do you who do you turn into a Muppet? Well, I, I mean I guess you keep Michael Pear human because he's the straight man that you bounce all the Muppets off of, right? No, nah, you keep Gozer the dancer. <laughs> 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 the <one I'm> human.
3: <laughs> uh, it'd be Kermit to go seek out Miss
1: Piggy and she's not really worth it at that point, so he just leaves her there to get yeah. Literally porked by the bombers, you know. <laughs> besides they're going to let her go in a couple of weeks anyway
2: right oh yeah
1: <laughs> that that meat has been brined it's no longer good to them <laughs> I gotta stop Uh-oh. it
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah well, what's what's William Defoe's threat like I, the movie is so you know kind of like uh, PG-ish and stuff I almost kind of believe that was his intentions like hey I just want you to date me for two weeks and then I'll let you go <laughs> I'll, I'll, <laughs> seems I'll, I'll like cut, basically what the threat is I'll cut some bacon off your back while I'll have breakfast you know
3: <laughs> Just a little back strap. <laughs> We're horrible people. We're horrible. Yeah, well <laughs> that's okay. That's okay though. Wouldn't I have it any other way.
0: I didn't think it was
1: gonna go there. I'm crying now though, guys. Fuck it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. That's uh about the end of this one. This is where I'll tell Lee uh, to push his show.
2: Uh, Yeah, Uh, if you want to hear me talk about movies with uh, my uh, co-host Lady Lee and sometimes co-hosts Paul and Dan and uh, the occasional guest host, Uh, you've heard uh, Gary on there several times and you'll hear Cameron on there in the near future sometime, Um, go to tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find my podcast, They Must Be Destroyed on site. And we talk about a little bit of everything, so... uh, there's a little something there for everybody, uh, if you did, no, no matter what the genre is.
3: Cool. Cameron? Um, I'm still kicking it at Cinema Degeneration to Podbean. We're pretty much everywhere you can get your podcasts. Uh, here lately, I've been turning out a couple of the, the regular shows, Grindhouse Pizzeria, sequel to Deja Vu. But I have uh, de- debuted two new shows here in the last what, week, week and a half, uh, one called Simply Short Sundays, little micro size 10-, 15-minute reviews, and then a, a strange show I'm doing called Without Waring, Warning, where I call up my friend Corey Dawson out of the blue and test his uh, pop culture knowledge with a random topic that he has no idea uh, no preface to it at all. He has no idea what we're getting into. So sometimes I stump him. Sometimes I don't. It's uh, been an interesting kind of run of shows.
1: Cool. Yeah, all, all my Legion stuff. And oh, I I forget to mention something. Um, we don't get much much Walter Hill news, but uh, F- F- Funko has released the Warriors board game, and it huh. looks it looks pretty badass. And my friend has already bought it. We're going to go get drunk and play it together very soon. So, there might be a video or something at some point in time. Was playing this game, but um, I'm not sure it's be as fun as the Warriors video game. But uh, it's a card mm. it's a card and dice base game, and it looks like a lot of fun. I gotta say, I've seen the board, and it's just um,
3: bless them for 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 making that happen. You know. Google, uh, <laughs> it, it looks like a lot of fun I've, i'm a big avid board game fanatic and i've almost thought about buying it because the same company is doing a my bloody valentine board game as well nice oh really yeah
1: and i will, I, will so, I'll uh, stress has, this.
3: I have to get back to me on that let me know if it's worth the it's worth okay. the, the bones i'll stress this go to your local hobby shop
1: and, and, and buy it don't don't go to fucking target <laughs> and buy it uh I, I hate when I see the cards without humanity and stuff on the shelf of Target, I always hide them because I mm. want folks to <laughs> go to their local hobby shop and go buy this stuff. This is a support their local comic shop and hobby shop. And this yeah, is, this sup- is stuff you should do people, you know,
2: support the people who actually care about that shit. Not just the big fucking box stores that are just selling it. Cause they're selling it. Yeah. They're just checking box number 37 on the list of
3: what they got to buy. Yeah.
1: But yeah, um, any show you hear on Legion Podcast from me uh, will be under the Butcher Shop banner, as Bo has labeled as such. And I thank you for that, sir. And that show, cinema, this show, Cinema Beef Podcast, two different commentaries, and Burning for Springwood will all be under that banner. So if you're looking into your podcatcher, if it's the first time you listening to this show, click on it. You can subscribe that way. Uh, new show, two episodes in. I do with Heather Powell from the Friday Nightmares podcast is called untapped gems. It's a show based on a list of movies that we have not seen as, as a collective <clears throat> me or her. So first two episodes of don't torture a duckling and the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Those can be found oh. on the intestinal fortitude podcast network. Go uh, check those out there. That's about it for me. Um, I'm sweating buckets and it's only 50 degrees outside. Um, <laughs> this has been the last call of Torchies and uh, motor on, people.
0: Yeah.